live from the sidelines of the market, Investors Business Daily's Investing with IBD podcast is here for you. I'm Justin Nielsen, along with co-host Arusha Paris, and we're taking a look at some pretty strong plays here in the market coming up to the Thanksgiving holidays. Investors strategizing what's to come as trades wrap up for the year. So today is Tuesday, November 21st, so let's get right to it. Joining us today from the sidelines with his take on the exciting market action we're seeing uh, is David Saito Chung, Deputy Markets Editor at IBD. Welcome, David. Hey, Justin. Hey, Arusha. Great to see you guys again. And Arusha, yeah, I, I'm just going to real quickly acknowledge, since this is kind of going to be a little bit of a sports theme, he's got his two helmets in the back. USC didn't don't really it. do that well against it. UCLA. I, 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 yeah, I don't know what to say on that. Raiders lost too, Me so... Too. Uh, <laughs> Arusha's, Arusha's there licking his wounds, but uh, well, are you looking well, forward to any particular Thanksgiving games? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say first that I'm going to have to replace that USC helmet with a Harvard helmet and join David. <laughs> right. Okay. Are, are they doing uh, as well as USC? I, well, I, they can't actually, be doing worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, here's a look at today's roster. We're going to take a look at, uh, for kickoff, uh, a little bit of what's going on with the market. Um, Fed minutes were out today, how that's affecting things for our halftime show. Uh, we'll also, you know, take a look at some of the market indicators that are sports related, including the Super Bowl indicator. David's going to talk to us about that and the World Cup indicator and see if these have any value or do they just create blind spots for you? And then we're going to kind of finish off with the tailgate classics, uh, our, our, our own little combine of stocks, including some sports-related, uh, Wingstop, DraftKings, and Microsoft. So, uh, David, why don't you start us out, and uh, let's take a look at the kickoff in terms of NASDAQ Composite, which has sure. continued to be the leading index for us. Um, and, I mean, we had this tight area uh, right above 14,000, popped out of that, and it seems like it's making itself comfortable up there. I agree. Look at that nice gap up we had on the tame inflation report, I believe. That was uh, the CPI not too long ago. And ever since then, it's been, what, four, five, six days now. We've actually held above 14,000, which I think we consider to be a, a key psychological level, given that we had trouble holding above that in the summer. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, now, since you uh, you have to report on basically everything uh, uh, that has to do with the market. Uh, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the, the the Fed minutes? And, you know, it seems like right now the focus has kind of shifted a little bit to um, not so much the the rate hikes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there was that fear, you know, are, are we going to get one more hike before the end of the year? But it seems like people are now looking forward to when will the cuts happen? 28% uh, chance for March. Um, a 50% chance or more for May. Um, a lot of people thinking maybe June's a little bit more likely. Did the Fed minutes uh, give any illumination on what's going on there? I think it gave a, a little bit, Justin. I haven't had a chance to read the entire minutes, though, but judging by the commentary that I've seen, I think people have been very hopeful still that we all we will have at least a quarter point rate uh, rate cut sometime in the first half of next year and that could be followed by another one depending on what the the future economic data uh, mm -hmm. shows us right for 2024 but i think one analyst uh, i think hit it on the nail that they said that within the minutes from that recent meeting from which they decided not to raise interest rates 
the word restrictive came up more often than not, something like at least six times uh, in major conversations. So that pretty much is, I, I would suspect what most of Wall Street thinks, that until we get core inflation down to really that 2% uh, target that the, they, they really adamantly want uh, to, to reach, that it's going to take time uh, for any rate hike, uh, any rate uh, cuts to ever appear. It's going to be more higher for longer. But I think right now, you know, since November, the market is welcoming the fact that we're pretty much near or pretty much at the top of that rate high cycle. And it's been a long cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, quit. David, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think that I, I guess I was kind of surprised to hear that there, there's hope that there's a maybe a hike, uh, a rate cut in the, the first half of the year. It's, it seemed to me that that it's been the, like, maybe the Fed's been pretty consistent of just saying that they're just going to keep keep it at the these rates for a while and see what happens. Right. Just slowly get, kind of adjust and maybe and ready to do really, more. If necessary, that seems to be what they keep on really <laughs> emphasizing. True. We're ready to do more if we need to. <laughs> yeah, but the cuts, the totally. cuts, it seems like they, they have to kind of like what you were saying, Dave, with the, the core inflation. They, they almost have to see the economy start to wobble a little bit. Mm -hmm. A bunch of layoffs start to happen before they say, OK, maybe, maybe we should cut. And let's not forget, exactly. like earlier in the year, it was, you know, the the expectation the was for cuts before yeah. the end of 2023 you know like coming in the in the last quarter um so i mean this this, this has certainly been kicked kicked down the road a little bit <laughs> oh without without question and you know speaking of wobbly wobbly action in economy Arusha, i think i think you're right that right now there there are some signs of small wobbles like for instance in the manufacturing side mm -hmm. the certain data from the ism shows that we're in contraction mode some of those Fed regional manufacturing surveys show that we're no longer growing uh, in terms of output. So I, I guess now the focus is really going to be on jobless claims on a weekly basis. The yeah. four-week moving average has been rising a little bit, but you know we still haven't seen anywhere any indication that, uh, as you said, there could be massive layoffs and uh, there will be obviously adjustments with the UAW strike, but now that seems to be getting resolved. So. Uh, the question is, will we see a gradual rise in, in unemployment? That would be ideal, I think, for the Fed, because that will cool down wage growth and also just get us ever closer to that 2% uh, holy grail, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and David, just to quickly add to that, it's kind of interesting in some of these earnings calls, uh, mm -hmm. you're hearing a number of these companies beating on earnings, but it seems like a lot of these companies are saying we're lowering our revenue. Or the revenue, you know, the revenue is going to start to slow down. And and so maybe in the end, even if the Fed keeps the rates as is, they might accomplish it just with that kind of with the consumer slowing down, not spending as much. And now the companies start to see the revenue slow down over the maybe the first half of the next year. Oh, that's a, that's another good point. Uh, at the same time, you know, it's I think the market is also feeling uh, positive about goods inflation, like we see crude oil still below. $80 a barrel. We've had a little bump up. Gold made some noise today. You know, uh, on, on our IB live show, for instance, we, we talked a lot about gold hitting 2000 an ounce and what reaction the stock market is giving. It, it's, 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 it's very complex, right? To really <laughs> forecast the economy, right? Some, some economists are paid 
uh, full time to just examine every little move and shake uh, <laughs> in, in, in the economy. We think we think, well, focus on what the Fed is saying, what the interest rates are doing and then what the market is doing, because you're going to get real, real time, real money decisions made by millions of participants. I, I think uh, at least from that point of view, the, the, the market is optimistic that we are uh, going to have uh, either a soft landing and, and not a, a deep recession for now. Uh, the other point I, I want to add is that, you know, I was looking at some numbers regarding earnings and uh, since interest rates really have a big impact, uh, I just got a comment from Rob Swank, uh, a Commonwealth Financial Network, uh, a big RIA firm based uh, in, in the Northeast. And among the S&P 500 companies that have reported, about 94% have now reported. The uh, 82% of those that have reported have beaten their earnings estimates for Q3. And that's eight percentage points above the 10-year average. So here again, you know, we're still getting earnings, obviously, today, uh, yesterday, and, and tomorrow with, with retailer earnings. But uh, the earnings picture also helps, uh, has been helping, I think, uh, this Q4 rally. Mm-hmm. Do you think some of that was, uh, you know, companies kind of seeing the writing on the wall and lowering, lowering some of their estimates ahead of time uh, to just sure. kind of soften the blow, make it a little bit easier to uh, hit 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 those targets? Um, what, what what's been your take on, you know, just the reactions? Because you know, earnings has gotten, you know, I mean, we were seeing it seemed like twenty percent moves up or down. Uh, that there was like almost no in between. But what what what's been your take on this? last earnings season now that we're kind of at the tail end well i, I gotta say and, and our show is going to be also talking about biases you know uh, especially through the super bowl and the world cup indicator that i wanted to share uh with everyone but uh from what i've seen you know i'm, I'm not I, I don't look at every single earnings report for all s p 500 companies but the ones i've been focusing on uh, have been able to uh, keep earnings forecasts and expectations uh, under control and uh, give you know modest uh, outlooks for sales and then set that up for a, for a potential beat. So you know giving conservative guidance uh, still is very important, I, I think Justin. And the, uh, the numbers I've seen, especially among companies that really get high ratings on IBD and, and make the screens on Marcus Smith, have shown that uh, there are um, more than uh, a, a bunch, you know, more than several handfuls of, of companies that have that kind of uh, wonderful fundamentals that can help drive uh, big institutional sponsorship and therefore strong price gains that can beat the stock market. Mm-hmm. One of the things I also just wanted to touch on briefly is if, if we could maybe put up the 10-year treasury uh, yield, because yeah. uh, this was, you know, such a such a damper on on market action and you know especially the the big rise that we saw was just really hard for a lot of stocks to get traction especially on the small cap area and and everything um certainly what's coincided with this really powerful rally that we've had in november has Mm -hmm. been a really big drop in the 10-year treasury yield which a lot of people were saying was doing kind of the heavy lifting for the Fed. Um, is that's right? Do you think there's a concern that if this is no longer, you know, fulfilling that duty, that um, 
you know, where, where does that leave us? That's that's a great question, Justin. Look at, first of all, on your chart there with the SIBO Treasury yield having had a, a, an incredible move, right, from uh, this, I guess it was springtime. And it, it wasn't until the interest rates got to four and a half to, and then to uh, 5% that uh, the market started feeling some heat uh, in recent months. But uh, I, I think we're, we're we're having an adjustment here. I think the 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 Treasury yield market or the Treasury bond market is reflecting the progress that the Fed has made with its rate hikes, and uh, people are giving the Fed more credit for now just, just kind of stepping to the sidelines, waiting to see um, how much progress has is going to be made on inflation after one of the most rapid increases in interest rates uh, in history. So, David, what about the breadth in, in, in the market? We started to see it improve a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, in the beginning, that you know, one of the criticisms when you had the fall today, not, not a lot of stocks participating, but the most important stocks were participating, right? The larger cap tech <laughs> stock that, as we saw Absolutely. in the beginning of the year, can drive up the whole market. Uh, but uh, what, what are your feelings now about the breadth? Has it started to improve enough that, you're, it makes you more optimistic about this rally? Arusha, personally, I would say uh, yes, uh, with a capital Y. And one reason is that I, I've lately really tried to track the number of stocks that are up in price in heavy volume versus down in price in heavy volume, as we show on the homepage of Marcus Smith. And so on October 30th, for, in, for instance, there were 488 stocks up in volume, 161 down in volume. So almost pretty much three to one in terms of those stocks up versus down. And this was two days before Jerry Powell and the, the Fed decision to leave rates unchanged on November 1st. That week of October 30th, from October 30th until November 3rd, the amount of stocks hitting, uh, you know, rising for the day in heavy volume just swamped, totally swamped the number of stocks down in volume. Uh, the most extreme examples were November 2nd, 1,216 stocks up, 150 stocks down, and these are all trading above average turnover. So that's like, uh, I would say maybe eight to nine to one, you know, winners versus losers in volume. And then the very next day, November 3rd, to cap off that really strong first up week of the past three weeks, 1,098 stocks up, 120 stocks down. These are numbers in terms of market breadth that we haven't seen in a long time. And therefore, when we look at the advanced decline line, as Justin and Irusha are showing on the screen, yes, for sure, uh, the market doesn't look super healthy in terms of new highs versus new lows or in terms of advanced decline line, but we've definitely seen uh, a change in the behavior, I think, of institutional uh, investors around the time that the Fed news came out. And we're seeing that behavior in breakouts working a little bit better, right? Yeah. Without question. Without question. Yes, we're we're seeing those, uh, the breakout screen, right? And Marcus Smith, the stocks near a pivot point really light up. It's like finally someone put in the, the the plug for the pinball machine and the lights are starting to show up now. Mm-hmm. One more thing I wanted to ask you, uh, Dave, you, we're going to do a little plug for Leaderboard here. Leaderboard, of course, is a, a product that Investors Business Daily has uh, that kind of gives um, ideas for, 
you know, investable opportunities and kind of gives a sense of how you might manage a portfolio. And we do that with a model portfolio, which you are uh, one of the managers of that model portfolio. There was a, a lot of times when you're out of the market, you know, mm-hmm. and you're, you're on the sidelines in cash, uh, it's great because you're, you know, you're sitting out the, the negative action and, you know, hopefully you're able to get back in soon enough to participate when the market does eventually turn. But sometimes that does take a while. Um, right. You were really, you know, really aggressive very early on on this rally. And as a result, uh, November, you know, is, is up almost 10% for this model portfolio of leaderboard um, because the, the exposure got ramped up so quickly. What, what made you do that? What was kind of the driving force that allowed you to um, be that aggressive and, and have some extra confidence, especially given how many rallies we've had that didn't work, even sure. you know, August, <laughs> Good point. you know, August 29th yeah. follow through day didn't work, uh, you know, October 6th follow through day didn't work. Um, was there something different this time? Well, uh, first of all, I, I, I don't want to take, uh, uh, a lot of the credit or even, or, uh, for heaven's sake, full credit for, you know, the, the nice moves that have been seen in leaderboard since late October. But I do want to mention a few points that may, might help our listeners uh, be better prepared or, or stay on top of their investing game, right? And one is, yes, we all were aware that we had uh, these uh, waves of, of, of sell-offs that started, you know, in June, July, then August, September, and then October. Uh, it was it was rough sledding, especially October. But uh, the the interesting thing was that you know we we've had experience studying the market near the end of a rate hike cycle. I just personally kind of felt that we were getting ever closer to that to that stage. Secondly, even though the breadth was very poor, we were seeing high quality stocks with great IBD ratings that deserved not necessarily to be part of a active portfolio, but to be on a watch list. So at one point, you know, in September and October, we had close to eight to 10 stocks on the watch list of leaderboard uh, in our model portfolio. And they were ready to go if the market was gonna give a follow through signal. And the reason why we could add those stocks is one, they were doing something very innovative. We're gonna talk about DraftKings, DKNG soon as, as a good example. They're relatively newer stocks or they have something new going on with them, obviously Microsoft and AI. And these, these stocks were trading relatively close to good trend line buy points, trading above moving averages like the 50 day and the 200 day, forming the right side of the basis. So it, it sort of felt like under the lid of the market in terms of looking at the you know the major averages there were there were some good things uh cooking so i think that was a factor and just the experience you know our our team which uh includes you of course uh, justin chris gessel our chief content officer and ken shreve who's a senior markets uh, writer as well as we have some other market team people who assist uh in the operation of leaderboard you know we have that experience of going through many different cycles uh that are affected uh, in large part by uh, what the Fed does. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick time out. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some of these ways in which sports indicators might help you with your investing or potentially hurt it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. 
Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's our halftime report here with Justin Nielsen and Arusha Pierce. And our special guest this week is David Saito Chung, Deputy Markets Editor at Investors Business Daily. So, uh, David, just in sticking with the sports theme, we've got Thanksgiving coming up. A lot of folks are going to be uh, eating their turkey and watching sports. Um, you've kind of talked a little bit about how there are a lot of sports related indicators that have to do with the market. And uh, I remember years ago, uh, uh, Chris uh, Gessel, our chief content officer, came up with one at a, uh, a level four uh, seminar that we were giving, and it was the the, the Lakers indicator. Uh, uh, what indicators <laughs> What indicators are you following nowadays? Well, you know, given the right, the, the Thanksgiving season and the sports, and, and both you guys love sports too, I thought, why don't we, why don't we dig into two of them? One, is more well-known than the other. Let's start with the Super Bowl indicator. And I was just doing a little reading about it and uh, just found out, according to one of our uh, former uh, full-time staff writers who wrote a, a, nice, a very nice article on AARP's uh, website, it actually came, uh, came uh, aboard in the late 1970s. A sports writer from the New York Times, Leonard Coppett, came up with this Super Bowl indicator in which uh, According to the most recent research on Super Bowl history and the stock market history, that the Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, has been has finished a year higher, 82% of the time when an NFC conference team wins the Super Bowl. And on those years when the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up, the average return is 11.4%. So imagine what the S&P or the Nasdaq might have done on some of those years too. And uh, Adam Shell, the, the writer of this story, uh, quoted research from CFRA. And so I was kind of curious about like, well, does it really still hold water? Uh, for sure, you know, in 1967, guys, uh, and the first Super Bowl where you had the NFL team and the AFL team play together, yeah. the Chiefs yeah. lost to the Green Bay Packers. The, the, the Packers won 35-10, that was an NFL team. Well, lo and behold, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 15.2% <laughs> for that year. Uh, and then I, if I'm, if I don't, if I remember correctly, the the Packers won again can, uh, for yeah. the second year in a row, right? And uh, and that year, the uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 4.3% in 1968. So uh, at the 68 Super Bowl, uh, the Packers uh, defe defeated the Raiders, and I know. Yeah. Uh, Arusha, I know you. 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 you that, that was a tough one for me. I, was I, it? Was it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was a tough, tough one to watch. Well, it, you know, it's it's uh, there's been a lot of glory days for the for the for the Raiders as well too. But anyway, two two years in a row, uh, the Packers and the NFL won, and uh, the the stock market was up. Well, actually, Justin, when you look at recent history, uh, that uh, theory, right, that the NFC team brings brings a uh, a, a bullish year for the market has kind of uh, fallen apart a little bit. In fact, uh, just go to, for instance, last year, 2022, the Rams in LA uh, edged past the Cincinnati Bengals 23-20. And look what happened uh, during that uh, year for the market. Uh, pretty, pretty, pretty bad market. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, and the Patriots and the Patriots won a bunch over the last twenty years too. So they 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 uh well I mean I think the market and the markets for the most part in the last twenty years have done pretty well, right? I mean we had those exactly some pretty exactly. bad years, but um for the most part, yeah. You would have thought too that well, of course twenty twenty with, with COVID, uh that that was a uh, quite a uh, a strange year, a volatile year for the market. The Chiefs edged out the San Francisco 49ers 31-20. Yeah. The Dow was only up 7% for that year. But as we know, uh, uh, there were some some amazing growth stock winners uh, during that 2020 uh, run-up from, from, the, from the lows of, of late March. So uh, I, I, I thought it was kind of fun just to kind of poke poke at uh, this <laughs> <laughs> indicator. Right. And, and that uh, it's, it's, while it's fun to talk about it, right, and, and you kind of reminisce about uh, certain Super Bowl uh, events and and what the market did, and um, I, I think it's it's probably in your best interest to really just say stay focused on uh, what really matters uh, in the market is supply and demand. It's uh, how how to how do equities uh, respond to changes in interest rates and and earnings? Uh, I think those are three of the big factors. The fourth biggest factor probably being the the individual teams within the stock market. You want to go for the you want to go for the ones that can actually uh, you know, spike that football in a touchdown in terms of mm-hmm. really strong earnings and sales and having a good product and, and good service, good management, good quarterbacking too. And, and yeah, to I mean, a degree, there's the industry groups, you know, that kind of yeah. act as your teams, right? Because uh, a lot of times you will have certain industry groups that become kind of the 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 leaders. And, you know, if you can if you can get a, a nice player on one of those industry uh, in one of those top industry groups, then that's where you can really really do well. Arusha, you were going to add something in there. No, yeah, I mean, the parallels, and we've talked about this before in some other episodes, the parallels between football, uh, the st- investing in football, especially like fantasy football, mm-hmm. it, it's it's pretty mm-hmm. crazy. And, and one of those parallels uh, is finding the best industry groups and you find the best players, you know, find the best teams, find the best players. It, it's all very similar. And you're using stats to kind of uh, do that. You're using history, and a lot of times the best players who did the previous year, the chances are they're going to probably do pretty well the, the current years. Uh, but you do want to manage your risk too. If you start seeing stuff falling apart or players being traded, you might want to cut some of those uh, so, so those teams out of there. I, I like that. I like both of both of what you guys said too, and and what you said, Arusha, particularly, particularly reminds me of what Branch Rickey said about trading baseball players. Right, Branch Rickey, famous Brooklyn Dodgers manager, and he said. It's, it's far better, right, to trade a great player one year early than one year late. That's and true. so <laughs> yep. I, th- I think it's, when it comes to selling, you know, your 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 best stocks or uh, locking in those gains, right, because paper gains are just simply paper gains. Uh, you definitely want to sell into strength, so to speak. And so uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm glad we're approaching, uh, you know, the sports metaphors again. Um, is now a good time, Justin, to also talk about uh, my experience with the World Cup? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's bring all that experience to bear. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. So uh, I would love it if you could go to the S&P 500 and go to a long-term monthly chart and maybe uh, include the years that go back to, say, you know, the late 80s. Uh, So you might, I don't know if you got the uh, entire. I'm going to zoom out here. Yeah. Okay, great. So my my first uh, foray. Uh, as a journalist, actually came as a sports writer and sports uh, editor uh, for Kyoto News Agency in Tokyo, Japan. So Kyoto is 
very much like the Associated Press here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And that was in 1994. I helped to cover the Hiroshima Asian Games, kind of like the Asian version of the Olympics. That was in 94. And then from 95 to 98, um, I was given this incredible opportunity to, to cover two Olympic Games, the 96 Olympics in Atlanta, the Nagano Winter Olympics in 98. And then for most of 1998, after the Nagano Olympics, I covered the Tokyo stock market. The Tokyo stock market in 1988 was a shambles. It was like being uh, with the team that was zero and 16 uh, in the NFL <laughs> uh, or one and 15. You know, you, you had uh, you a see, lot of injuries. Let's uh, say. A lot of injuries. Exactly. <laughs> it took a long time for uh, and it's still uh, a stock market. The, the Nikkei 225, for instance, in Japan uh, uh, on the mend after hitting its highs of December 1989 near 39,000. But when I was this cub reporter for the stock market in 1998, there were some big, big news, obviously. Uh, the Russian ruble crisis, Russia mm -hmm. defaulting on its debt, which led to the collapse of long-term capital management, a hedge fund filled with Nobel Prize-winning economists and John Merriweather, a famous trader from uh, Solomon Brothers. Uh, and you know that hedge fund was so important to the financial system that that Alan Greenspan called together the heads of like, I think 20 to 25 Wall Street banks and said, we got to save this, this fund. Uh, otherwise, you know, Wall Street could go, could go down with it. So, you know, when you look at 1998, it was a pretty steep uh, bear market. Uh, the S&P 500 from my calculations was down as much as 22.4%. So this is 1998. And then eventually we had a nice, uh, turnaround, uh, a follow-through, a market bottom in October 1998 with a follow-through. But that was also the year when I was covering the, the Japanese stock market uh, and the, you know Jap Japan's financial system had its uh, uh, issues as well. Well, while we were you know uh, covering uh, what was pretty uh, a, a, a pretty dark and gloomy era for, for stocks all around the world, you had the World Cup uh, in which France uh, won right. uh, its first of two World Cups in, in modern history. Uh, they defeated Brazil three to zero. And I think uh, it was held in France, if I'm not mistaken, it was. that yep. year. Yeah, 1998. Uh, well, the market came back um, just like the, the, the France was victorious. And, and the market always does come back, right, because it has that upward bias. Um, but it, it, it didn't come without, you know, uh, some severe damage to what happened in the market. Same thing happened in 1994. We had uh, a U.S. stock market that didn't really crash, but it was a long bear market in terms of time. You know, the S&P was down 9.7%. The Nasdaq was down 14% in 1994, but it took more than a year uh, after, as Greenspan and company at the Fed decided to uh, raise interest rates uh, to cool down inflation. So 1994 was, you know, uh, a difficult year for those who were going long in stocks. And then uh, we had, you know, the uh, U.S. World Cup in that same year. Uh, Brazil won on penalties four years before that, 1990, uh, when Germany defeated uh, Argentina. Uh, that was another bear market. That was a, 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 a tough year for equities. The, the S&P was down 20 percent. So it was a legitimate bear market. And then let's go all the way back to 2002. Uh, that was a, a very uh, unique year for World Cup history, uh, where South Korea and Japan co-hosted uh, the, 
right? The soccer event for the first time. Well, that was a, a very, very bad year for stocks, right? Uh, the S&P down 34.5% off its year-to-date high of 2002, but it also fell more than 50% from the 2000 peak, and that was obviously during the dot-com bubble. All in all, I, I, I just having that history and those, those memories made me think about in the future, Justin and Arusha, that, okay, is it a World Cup year? You better batten out of hatches. You better, you better, <laughs> you know. Uh, we have three more years. Yeah, exactly. Three more years. And look what happened in 2022. We had a, a glorious yeah. World Cup victory for Argentina with Messi 2022. But boy, that was like the only uh, gold, you know, the only the bright spot we saw uh, in terms of equity markets. Like, look what happened uh, as the Fed raised interest rates so rapidly to try to quell inflation. But all in all, I feel like, well, it's fun here again, just like with the Super Bowl indicator. Um, to talk about sports and these, how the, the these coincidences happen between major events in sports and major events in stock market. What we what we also have to I guess appreciate is that while the market has these uh, this long long term upward bias, well, every three or four years you're probably bound to get some kind of reset, right? That's what a correction in a bear market is. It just so happens to be when I was so interested in both sports and covering the stock market in the 90s that those two things aligned at the same time. Um, and then when I joined IBD in 99 and got to know more about the IBD methodology and really looking at a lot of charts together with uh, folks like Justin and Arusha and Chris Gessel and Bill O'Neill uh, and other um, in-house money managers who work for Bill, uh, you know, we, we came to understand that, yes, uh, history doesn't obviously repeat itself perfectly, but it does rhyme. And you generally, uh, you generally have these cycles where you're going up two, three years, and then you have a down year to sort of get rid of that speculative froth and, and let stocks reset, let new IPOs come to the foray and let new leaders come, come in. So I think it's very important uh, for the long term to understand that the, the market really hasn't changed uh, in that way, we, we we have these cycles. We should respect them, and um, you know, it, and and rely on that uh, as something that will continue, rather than oh, okay, it's a it's it's a you know the NFC <laughs> Super Bowl team won, uh, right. the AFC Super Bowl team won, or you know, as a World Cup event. And and before I forget, one thing also I wanted to add about the Super Bowl indicator, isn't it funny that you know the New York Times writer Leonard Coppett uh, noted that. Yes, NFC team wins. We're going to have a stock market, uh, a good winning stock market, right? Well, you know, what if what if it was the AFC team that won and the market was up 82% of the time? I, I think it, it, it really doesn't really matter because the, the truth <laughs> of the matter is uh, it's, it's the stock market does tend to go up most of the time, you know? 82% of the time, that sounds sounds about right. So it's just like kind of putting two <laughs> two kind of coincidental things together into one. And whether there's any causation or not, well, it's fun to talk about. Yeah. Well, and it's also one of these things where as humans, we tend to look for patterns, right? Yeah. And so right. Uh, there is this kind of bias that we have looking for meaning sometimes when there isn't, uh, you know, because again, who who could make a, a, a causation relationship between the football team and the, and the market um you know but you know jeffrey hirsch of course he's been on a number of times uh, from the stock traders almanac and you know the presidential cycle you know there is certainly uh data that supports um you know a, a, a tendency 
for action mm -hmm. based on the presidential cycle and seasonality in terms of um, months and you know where you're at in that presidential cycle. So um, I guess I guess the end result is um, there's a lot of things that people can look at, a lot of patterns that they can find, and you know there's those patterns that have maybe you know withstood the test of time and those that are okay. You have a sample size of four, and maybe that's not enough to really. Uh, to, to really build a pattern off of. But at the end of the day, David, what is it that investors should look at the most? You know, I, I, I take the cue from, from Bill O'Neill, uh, especially in his book, How to Make Money in Stocks. If you want to learn about fish, look at fish, watch fish, examine fish, right? If you really want to know the stock market, really examine what the stock market is really doing. And those are the facts. And uh, our producer on the show is making another good point. It's like, uh, you know, he's he's talking about correlation is not the same as causation. I, I completely agree with that. Uh, causations, uh, it, there are certain causes, you know, for for uh, certain act, you know, moves in the in the market, and we have to, uh, you know, really try to understand it as quickly as we can when the market is making a big move. But I I try to really keep it simple, and I think both of you guys uh, do the same. We, we look at the major averages. We, we look for any change in trend. We, uh, we look for uh, other signals that the market uh, has uh, more fuel in the tank in the, in the form of good stocks breaking out of bases, making new highs, pulling back in lighter volume, uh, sector rotation into stronger, um, stronger hands uh, in the market, so to speak. And right now, you know, if we fast forward to today, we're seeing... Uh, relative weakness in staples and utilities, banks, and more dynamic industry groups, uh, you know, consumer spending, uh, tech, med tech, and to some degree, you know, certain new home construction uh, areas uh, doing much, much better. So we have to follow strength. I think that's that's really important. Excellent. Yeah, there, well, there used to be... Oh, go ahead. There, there used to be a saying that would hold true, I think, in, in sports. I don't know if it necessarily holds true anymore, unfortunately, but defense wins championships, right? Mm -hmm. in, in soccer, I still think that. I, I don't know if necessarily in football that, that applies anymore, but I still think in investing that, that that is a huge key. Manage your risk, live to play another day, survive, because even though, as we saw with these World Cups, they come every four years, you can get some pretty devastating corrections that if you are not managing a risk, even though they don't come around that often, they can wipe you out. And so you have to always have enough money, have enough principle to, to live to play another day. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. minimizing those drawdowns, uh, yep. you know, that's that's how you get the compounding effect. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, if, if you get too big of a drawdown, guess what? It's tough to compound off of uh, negative, <laughs> ne negative drawdowns. So. Yeah. I feel like that those two comments uh, could be uh, the kernel for uh, another future uh, podcast uh, because uh, you know the defensive side of, of the investing game is ultra important. I agree, and then also as Justin you mentioned, managing your risk so that you don't come too far off your uh, the peak in your your in your portfolio. That's uh, something that I'm I'm really really paying close attention uh, within my own investing. Mm -hmm. Well, hey, we're going to take a break real quick. When we come back, we're going to do our tailgate report, kind of some scouting of the stocks that might be worth putting on your radar. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Trading Tesla, sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leveraged and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Welcome back to Investing with IBD Podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here and Arusha Paris, along with our special guest this week, David Saito Chung. And now we've got the tailgate report for you. And uh, we're going to do a little bit of scouting for some of the best stocks out there. And a lot of these are actually, well, actually, I should say all of them are currently featured on the leaderboard product that we mentioned earlier, David being a manager, uh, co-manager of that model portfolio. Uh, so why don't we start start with... Wingstop, because you can't have a tailgate without some good barbecue. Uh, what's uh, what's what's your take here on Wingstop? I mean, this is um, on the watch list right now for leaderboard. Right. And, you know, if we look at the chart here, look at pattern recognition, we've got this blue shaded area that is showing buy zone. But why is it not on right now? Well, it really had, first of all, the an amazing move on on earnings, Justin. Uh, you can see with that 53% EPS jump for the third quarter's 26% sales growth, it, it really moved so fast that if you weren't watching it carefully, uh, it, it just got away from you, like like uh, uh, you know, just just like a runaway, uh, I guess a wide receiver catching that ball in between the zone and and no one catching them, right, right, right. Uh, it's it's you have to be right there right and so we had been very active in adding a lot of stocks to leaderboard as wingstop was shaping that right side of the base expected a little bit of pullback it never really never really did right and so now at this point even though it's not a, a member of the actual leaders list on leaderboard we we are definitely going to be looking for some new entry points and stock going from you know 150 to over 230 uh in in such a little time you got to expect some kind of pullback a healthy pullback that will give us a second chance yeah now uh, a lot of the a lot of what we look at is uh again back to the team you know who else is on the team and the industry group here retail restaurants you know first of all you got you know the retail sector has been a little bit rough lately. Retail restaurants, mm -hmm. 140 out of 197. But there are these pockets within each of these retail groups that seem to be doing something so different from the rest of the team. So is this a case of uh, a, a great player being on a bad team? <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. And yeah, I, I, I think uh, when you look at the numbers, uh, as, as, as we show on on Marcus Smith, first of all, one of the most important areas of that chart is that top left corner with the with the annual earnings. And you can see from 58 cents a share in 2016 to $1.09 a share even during the COVID year, right? Almost doubling from there and then strong growth the next several years. We are expecting 31% earnings per share growth for this year, $2.39, and then another 18% increase for 2024 and generally, you know, when you go a full year's out, you're going to generally see conservative forecasts by both the company and Wall Street analysts. This is a rock star, a, a real MVP within the restaurant group. Now, of course, trends change and habits change with, regarding food. I think Wingstop as well as CMG, 
Chipotle have really mastered the convenience, have mastered uh, the ability to maintain high profit margins. So with increasing sales growth comes uh, even bigger earnings growth uh, to the bottom line. What's also benefited Wingstop is lower chicken wing prices. They also have now innovated and introduced the chicken breast sandwich, which I uh, want to try as soon as possible. I, it looks really good <laughs> on the commercials. <laughs> I wouldn't mind having that during a halftime, uh, you know, break, uh, uh, watching, watching, watching sports. It just looks so good. And I'm, I'm a big chicken fan and willing to try uh, Wingstop. I know it, it's important also, right, as an investor to really know the product uh, that the company's selling and have, have uh, some, some uh, uh, experience with it. So I think... This is uh, very, very important uh, in terms of you know judging what the stock is is doing. And and back to your original question, I I I feel like I didn't really properly answer it, uh, Justin, regarding you know the chart action. For sure, you know we are just a little bit above the left side high of this cup. But remember, this this stock has such a big move, especially after it crossed uh, technically that 200-day moving average. And you look at the chart action from late September to early November, it almost feels like it was like kind of like a little stealth mini flat base that formed inside uh, that cup. And uh, knowing Arusha's uh, expertise and, and research looking into earnings reactions, it wasn't quite a gap up on the earnings, but it was such a strong move. You, you really had to pay attention. Right, right, Arusha? Yeah, I mean, this was a, yeah, in many ways, it was it was a character change, which is a lot of times those earnings gaps ups. Um, so I, one thing I wanted to uh, add to David's uh, talk about the chicken sandwich, uh, people, what, what I was, uh, what, what kind of appealed to me on the, the chicken, them introducing the chicken sandwich is for just chicken wings, people aren't going to necessarily go every day, I don't think, and eat chicken wings. Mm -hmm. But people will go every day and eat a chicken sandwich, right, for lunch and things like that. And so that in itself would bring customers probably more consistently there. And I think that was one of yes. the, the interesting things. Uh, and then the other thing, I, David, I think that you were getting towards with the cost of the chicken wings mm -hmm. uh, with the chicken sandwich, since it's more boneless, I think they can manage their costs better. Uh, oh, wow. versus the chicken wings where they're much more susceptible just to the regular chicken prices. So I think that was another reason where they're, it, it would able, enable them to control their costs more uh, just by doing the chicken sandwich and kind of growing that as a larger percentage of revenue. Mm -hmm. That yeah. is interesting. Great stuff. Well, let's go ahead and head to the sideline uh, real quick. And if you go to most football game sidelines, you're going to see uh, Microsoft products right there with you. Uh, you know, the, the the surface seems like it's omnipresent a lot of times. Um, so Microsoft, of course, does a lot more than just uh, providing uh, paraphernalia for football games. Uh, the big thing is about AI. And there's certainly been kind of this uh, recent shakeup with, uh, you know, the, the, the open AI and uh, mm -hmm some benefits potentially for Microsoft there in uh, terms of picking up some extra talent. Um, what's what's your take on Microsoft? This has been one of the big leaders for a while now, and it's one of the few stocks that's right there at new high territory. Incredible action. And glad, Justin, you're showing that weekly chart action. Uh, you really get a full appreciation for uh, the, the amazing performance it's had over the past five years and plus. It's one of the first 
tech stocks really to uh, hit all-time highs, even though the NASDAQ has yet to reach its 2021 peak. And I think we were very keen on this one because one, uh, you had that theme, very under, easy to understand theme. Wow, they're going to really uh, uh, try to grow their franchise uh, with a new feature that is AI. And in a beneficial way, the stock uh, got closer to the high of its recent base uh, more quickly than than others. We spotted a, a buy point when it uh, crossed um, basically a trend line that we drew across the base as well as a double bottom entry. I think that double bottom uh, entry arguably was around 340 and 86 cents. This stock joined the leaderboard watch list on October 30th in anticipation of a potential game-changing move for the market on November 1st, which is when we had the Fed decision. So uh, since then, it was pretty much a, a you know a no-brainer really to execute the play, so to speak. Uh, already on the watch list, we already had confidence in the technical action, the numbers in terms of fundamentals, and then uh, it it joined leaderboard at around $345.25. That was a half size position. Think of that as maybe putting five to 6% of your entire growth stock portfolio in a stock like Microsoft. Uh, it continued to act well. And then we decided recently to add a little more to that winning position by pyramiding up in MSFT. Uh, that extra quarter position was added not too long ago, November, 20, November 16th, that was last week at 375. So with the pullback we have right now, the uh, the quarter ad is just just down just a, a couple points. We're not too concerned about that. And especially with something like Microsoft, we would really want to focus on that weekly action and not get too concerned about uh, the daily fluctuations. Right. And it's also worth mentioning that, um, you know, Microsoft was actually one of the, the 2021 leaders. Uh, so this was kind of a revisit 21 uh, for 2021. Um, Microsoft was on, I think, pretty much the <laughs> the entire year. Uh, if, if, if this were an actual portfolio, it would have been a long-term uh, capital gain because uh, it, it came on in 2020 and was held uh, through through most of 2021. You know, what's, right. uh, right. what's kind of interesting also with Microsoft is it does have accelerating earnings. It has accelerating sales and accelerating margins. So you, you almost have the triple whammy right there uh, mm. go, going on. So so that is, I, I should also say I do own some shares of Microsoft, but especially with the news events of this past weekend, it is before they were kind of working in partnership with OpenAI and they're still going to, mm. but now it seems like they're just grabbing like almost everything there, all the talent, stuff like that. So it's going to be really interesting to see what 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 uh, comes out of this, but uh, they they have it seems like they're they they are becoming a major major player uh, in in the whole AI realm. Yeah, those are good points. And for for full disclosure, I am also a personal holder of of, of some shares in as Microsoft. Am I. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's let's uh, run the gamut here, guys. And yeah. uh, you know when when I look at the leaderboard chart, for instance, uh, one notable piece of info was that in the latest quarter for. For September, which is their fiscal first quarter, they beat earnings estimates by uh, nearly 13%. And for a company that already is a trillion-dollar company, that that's that's pretty amazing. You know, you're wow. building yeah. upon huge, huge numbers. The law of large numbers e eventually gets to all mm -hmm. stocks, right? But uh, they the company has uh, 
done really well, partly because of cloud computing and what Satya Nadella did after he, especially even before he became CEO in 2014, he was head of the cloud, cloud and enterprise computing business of Microsoft for something like eight years. And now they're going into uh, new frontiers. It's, it's really, really exciting. Yeah, and that's definitely something that uh, Microsoft sets itself apart in terms of a lot of companies uh, would would be by the wayside. I mean, let, let's just look at Cisco. Cisco is still used a lot, and a lot of companies, a lot of businesses still use Cisco products, but this never recovered back to its highs from 2000. You know, I mean, it's it's still not there. Microsoft took 15 years to do it, but it did it. And it did it because of that cloud computing. And now, arguably, uh, a lot of people are looking at AI as its third act um, of, you know, hey, this is what can drive the next move in, in Microsoft, um, you know, potentially in the same way that the operating system did in the 90s and mm -hmm. cloud computing did in the in the teens here. Um, we'll see if AI is uh, what what drives it forward in the in the in the twenties. Uh, so yeah, that'll be really interesting to see. And uh, certainly one of the conversations we had on IBD live this morning, uh, Ed brought up, you know, that, you know, that, that talent grab that they're doing, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like they're, they're getting the company without having to pay, you know, pay for it. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're getting a lot of that talent without having to deal with antitrust without, you know, having to deal with an acquisition, you know, if, if it kind of plays out this way. So that'll be a, a little bit of an interesting soap opera, uh, to, to watch. Um, let, let's exactly. go ahead and round this out with uh, a look at DraftKings, because uh, what would sports be if you don't have uh, something something riding on the game? Uh, and DraftKings is definitely there to help you out with that. Uh, <laughs> put put a little uh, extra extra fun and uh, skin in the game, if you will. Um, Not for California DraftKings. people, though. <laughs> not yet. We're, we're not bad. yet. Uh, not yet. Right. Well, you not yet. That's right. Uh, it, it's a, it's like the cannabis market too, right? Certain states have approved uh, use uh, for recreational, more more not just medicinal, right? Yeah, and and the states still have power to make things, to, to move and shake things. Uh, I'm glad we're ending with uh, DKNG. This is also a key member of the leaderboard currently right now with the leaderboard portfolio, uh, almost 97, 98% invested. Uh, DKNG is a full-size position, so we're saying... Uh, as much as 11, 12% of your portfolio deserves uh, DKNG shares. So it's, it's a big, it's a big bet, if you will, on a company that's had quite a roller coaster of a ride, especially if you look at a, you know, monthly chart or a weekly chart, but it seems like with their fantastic sales growth and uh, ability to uh, also become really, really strong in the newly, uh, liberated markets uh in, in terms of the states and and uh daily sports wagering uh it's a very exciting company we added it to the watch list uh initially this year in may 15th and it became part of the uh, portfolio uh the market then got a little bit choppy and we eventually exited that uh, stock dkng in mid-august but we didn't keep our eye off the ball uh, figuratively with dkng formed uh two bases kind of next to each other that had kind of elements of a double bottom. And that that week where it reported earnings, you can see it was just a, a, a game-changing week, up 27%, volume was well above average. It was the highest in about two and a half months. And uh, the stock broke a, a trend line, guys. Uh, well, once it started breaking that trend line, 
right after earn the earnings announcement, uh, we quickly moved it from the watch list uh, when it was added on September 14th to a half size position on November 3rd. So we were watching it very, very closely after it joined the watch list on September 14th. And a little more than two weeks later, uh, at 6.47 a.m. Pacific time, that's uh, just 17 minutes into the stock market, uh, we got a nice entry point, $31.12 and 14 cents, uh, and then raised it to three quarters and eventually a full position. So uh, hopefully this will turn out to be one of those stocks that we can hold at least eight weeks and see whether uh, the game uh, blossoms in, in, into something bigger. Yeah, I should say that I, I do own shares of DraftKings. Uh, what, what kind of surprised me uh, is that these guys still don't have earnings and they're not projected to have earnings uh, for a while. But it, it, it in a number of other ways, it does have that kind of O'Neill characteristics that you look for, right? A, a new kind of trend that's going on. It is pretty game changing for 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 a lot of people, and and they're one of the dominant players. Uh, in addition, with, with uh, FanDuel, uh, I think those are the two big players in here. But uh, but uh, and then technically, it's been trading pretty well, volatile, like a lot of these newer type of stocks. But strong breakout, and as David said, a game changing kind of earnings event. Yeah, uh, to add just quickly upon, upon that, you know, we have the ESPN Plus uh, uh, challenge, right, with Disney. Obviously, Disney's got big pockets. We'll see uh, how much uh, of a threat that could be to DraftKings. But I think they, they do say that FanDuel and DraftKings are the early movers. They, they, they really know their markets well. And uh, I think Wall Street was encouraged by the fact that the company said that we're very confident of, of becoming free cash flow positive next year. Well, David, this has been great stuff. Really appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing your thoughts, uh, sharing the history. Uh, I feel like this was a little bit of a history lesson uh, going back all the way. Uh, and you know, I should also mention that you had a great history lesson uh, not too long ago when the Fed was actually starting their rate hike cycle. You went back to 1994. That you know, previous uh, cycle of hikes and uh, did a lot of analysis. So it's always great to have your analysis on. And uh, folks can get more of David Saito Chung every day, not every day, but almost every day on IBD Live. Um, he's a, a frequent host, frequent panelist, uh, also very active on Twitter. Uh, Dave, what, what's your preferred uh, Twitter handle? Because I know you have two. Thanks, Justin. Uh, really uh, just so, so uh, honored really honored and privileged to be uh, on, on the podcast again. And you were referring to uh, an earlier podcast regarding how the market reacted to uh, the rate hikes of 94, 95. Mm -hmm. And I think those uh, that, if you go back to that podcast, uh, I think there's a little bit of nugget that can be uh, sort of applied to what's going on right now in the current 2020, 2022 to 2023 uh, uh, rate hike cycle and the stock market. Uh, in terms of Twitter, I actually, I'm active on two handles uh, or on X. One is at S-A-I-T-O-C-H-U-N-G, at Saito Chung. And the other one is uh, uniform to all of us uh, at IBD, at IBD underscore D Chung. Yeah, perfect. Well, thanks again for coming on. And uh, thank you, guys. Really it was it. fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, I, I know you're, a, uh, what, what is it, a, a, a Cleveland, Cleveland fan, so... Hopefully oh, your, your team does yep. pretty okay. <laughs> uh, I've got all my fingers crossed for, you know, the next uh, several games. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see if they can make, if they make the playoffs, uh, that's kind of like a Super Bowl for me. So, yeah, very good. <laughs>
Well, that'll wrap it up for us this time around. Thank you very much for uh, watching our game highlights. And uh, make sure you turn in. We've got another great game next week. Uh, John Bollinger will be joining the show. Uh, of course, he is of the Bollinger Band no Notoriety. So that'll be a great, uh, great chat with him. So hope you tune in for that. And thanks a lot for watching this time around. We'll see you next time. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.